We are talking real relationships right now. Not what you see on an Instagram reel, but real, gritty, authentic relationships. And it is crucial to talk relationships in church, and here's why, because it's why you exist. If you've ever wondered, why am I here? Why do I exist? It is this reason, to have a relationship with your heavenly Father. That is why you're here. God himself is relational in being. He exists in relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's kind of hard to wrap your mind around that. Point is, he is relational just in who he is. And he created us out of an abundance of love to have a relationship with him and then has gifted us the ability to have relationship with one another. Relationship is a gift. Don't raise your hands, but for some people, relationship feels like more of a curse. And we're gonna figure out why that is today. But it's meant to be a gift. I've experienced that in my own life. I've been married for over eight years. My wife, Stephanie, is the greatest gift outside of his son that Jesus, that God has given me. And I have learned more about the love of God through marriage, through her, been challenged to love like Jesus through marriage more than anywhere else. And because we love each other, we have two boys, and we've got to experience the gift of having a child. That all those cliches are true. The moment you hold that kid for the first time, it's like something about the, the father's heart, the love of God unlocks in you. Where you just go, this little alien can't do anything for me, but I would do anything for him. I got to experience that almost four years ago with our firstborn, Ezekiel, and recently again with our second. Uh, Christmas Eve was the last time I was up here preaching, and I have noticed that in that time period since I last preached, our church has really exploded while I haven't been preaching, so I'm a little bit concerned <laughs> that there might be a direct correlation between that, and I guess we'll find out, and this might be my last sermon ever, but my coworkers have been very generous to cover some extra shifts while I've been in the newborn phase because Christmas Eve, I was up here, I was joking, about Mary and Joseph and how awful that journey to Bethlehem must have been. Mary was nine months pregnant, and my wife at the time was nine months pregnant. Little did I know that a journey was awaiting me that very night, the night before Christmas. But rather than a donkey, it was my Jeep Compass. I was driving home, and my wife called me, and so you gotta know this detail, our son was due mid-January. This is Christmas Eve. But our boys just like to be born whenever they want to be born. And so she called me and she said, my water just broke. And so I, I don't really know how the whole thing works. I'm like, maybe the baby's gonna be born in like two minutes. The first time I experienced my son being born, it was a big blur. It was just like, oh my gosh, what is happening right now? And so I, did, I just floored it home. At one point, I was going like 68. The power of the Jeep Compass. I made it home, went, went to the hospital, and our little guy held on just long enough to be born on Christmas morning, 12.05 a.m. His name is Rayburn Lux Matat. Praise God, he has his mother's genetics, and that is all I prayed for for him. <laughs> and uh, he's doing great. He's already walking, speaking full sentences. <laughs> he just signed his letter of intent to play for Coach Prime and the Buffs in 18 years. But he is a gift to us. Out of some difficulty and loss in our life, he has been this tremendous gift. And so thank you to all of you who have prayed for us in our journey, and also a warning to some of you that are in relationships that this can happen. <laughs> and a lot of you are not ready for this. He is a gift. And so I see the gift of relationship in my life, but also I think if I'm honest, relationship is also the place of like our deepest pain and brokenness. I could pass this mic around. In this room, there is not one person free from relational baggage. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a pain point when it comes to a marriage, dating, a friendship, a group, a family member. Everybody feels the pain of relationship. It's broken. Relationship between humans, it is broken. 
You can look at the divorce rate, 50%. Marriage is a coin flip. 23% of kids in this country are growing up in single parent homes. Shout out to all you single parents who are carrying the load. On any given day, 440,000 children are in foster care. The family has been attacked. Marriage is attacked. There is a brokenness in relationship. And, and you can look at statistics. You can also look on social media, just at the way we treat each other, the wars that wage, the things that people say to each other, the short shelf life of friendships, people canceling other people. You can see it on the road. I was just driving the other day, just driving the speed limit in the middle lane of a frontage road, taking my son to school, and this car turns out in the right lane and immediately put their blinker on because they want to get over to my lane, but I'm about to be there, so I don't want to hit them. I don't want to slam my brakes on. I just keep going so they can just get behind me. There's no cars behind me. And as I'm passing the car, I look over and the guy's just flipping me and my three-year-old off. I'm like, you get flipped off now just for driving. I didn't even do anything wrong and this guy's flipping me off. There is a brokenness in how we treat each other and how we go about relationship. And what I would say is if, if relationship is a, a concept, if it was a system, it's out of order. It's not working how it's supposed to. Let me see this sign. Thank you, sir. I'm gonna keep this up here all day today to remind you of what we're talking about. This is the title of this message, Out of Order. This is the very type of sign that we would put in front of, as a random example, a urinal in the men's bathroom that never works how it's supposed to try as we might. I'll donate it to the bathroom and all you guys will never forget this message. <laughs> Ryan sent me a picture. He was at a coffee shop the other day and on one of the machines it said, Out of Order. It's not working how it's supposed to. It's not functioning properly. And I think that's true for all of us in relationships in our life. And I think it's because we put things out of order. We are putting things out of the proper order that they're supposed to be in. I was talking to a new friend of mine, Nathan, this past week, and he, he was telling me some of his story, how he was young and successful and completely miserable. And he said, I, I realized that my priorities were all out of order. I've had to adjust and change and reorder my life now it's faith, family, friends, then finances. He said, I had that backwards and it was wreaking havoc in my life. We put things out of order and it's causing the brokenness in our relationships. And so today my hope is to illuminate together why our relationships are broken, the ways that we are prone to put things out of order and get some vision to put things back in order and follow Jesus and how we go about relationships. So if you want one scripture to hold on to, it's this, John 15, 12. Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples and he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now that is a high calling, but it is our calling. Before we get to that, we need to go to the root of the problem that's within us, why we are just geared to put things out of order, which takes us to Genesis chapter three. If you're new to the Bible, Genesis chapters one and two is the creation story. This is the beginning of the story where God creates everything, including mankind, for relationship with him and then he looks at Adam and goes, it's not good for this dude to be alone. He needs his own flesh and blood. He needs a counterpart. He needs relationship. And this beautiful picture of marriage, of relationship is introduced of unity and companionship and intimacy and purpose. Be fruitful and multiply. Go bring God's glory out of his creation. And Genesis 3 is where things get out of order and we live in the fallout of it. So let's start. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in, any tree in the garden? So notice that the enemy will always strike for, first at relationship in your life. He will come for your relationship with God with questions to try to shake the foundations of your identity so he can shake all the relationships 
that you have. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Let's pause there. What has happened in our story? Things have gotten out of order. Suddenly the voice of the enemy, suddenly the voice of this accuser, asking questions laced with temptation, that voice is now the prominent voice that they're listening to. It has taken the place of listening to God's will and what he has told them to do. And what it has led them to do is put themselves on the throne. God is dropping down in the power rankings and all of a sudden they say, well, we wanna be like God. Let's do this our way. I wanna decide what's right and wrong. This is my show. It's a me first, my will mentality that is now geared in all of us as broken human beings. It goes all the way back to original sin. And we see it all the time in just the way that we operate. Everything is through the lens of me. My relationships, church, work, how am I feeling about it? How am I experiencing this? What is this doing for me? It's just in us, that's how we're geared. I think it's gotten worse with social media. Before social media, in every group of friends, there was that one friend who always could make anything about themselves. Like no matter what you said, they were gonna hijack that and go talk about themselves for a while. To the point that you, don't, you didn't even wanna like answer a question if they surprisingly were like, and what about you, how's your life? You'd be like, good. Because you knew if you talked for 10 seconds, they were about to talk for 10 minutes. In my high school group of friends, there was this girl in our group of friends, God bless her, she was sweet and meant well, but no matter what you said, she can make it about herself. And it became an unspoken frustration until one night where we were all hanging out and one of our friends was telling a really painful story about what their family was walking through. And she just jumped in and started, oh well, if I was going through that, here's some advice, here's what I saw with my friend and oh, this is how this makes me feel. And we were all kind of looking at her like, read the room. And then one of my buddies who is maybe not the warmest, not always tactful, he looked at her and he said, how did you possibly just make this about yourself? And it was uncomfortable. But it was cold water that she needed to hear and now I think that's something that we all need to hear. I think you look at a group of friends now, you're lucky if you have one friend who shows up for everybody else. If there's one friend who isn't there just to talk about me and what I'm getting from this and everybody focus on me. This is the Adam and Eve syndrome that's in all of us. Relationships are supposed to be like playing catch, right? Two people, back and forth. But I believe that because we have PR firms in our pockets that are making us believe that our news is the most breaking news, important thing that could be going on in the world, what we've grown to is what I would term boomerang friends. That no matter what gets thrown out there, it's always coming back to me. I was reading about boomerangs, which makes me the first person in history to do that. It said this, one might think of the motion of the boomerang as being quite similar to the motion of the earth as it spins and revolves around the sun. And that is how we are. I wanna be the sun around which everything else orbits. My relationships, my family, my friendships, my group, my church, my workplace. What is it doing for me? Does it match up with what I want and my will? That is in all of us. And we see the fallout of this happening from here in Genesis 3. Let's keep reading. 
Verse eight, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Shame is now here. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid, fear, shame. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, watch this, the woman you put here. She gave me fruit from the tree and I ate it. Now they're just gonna start playing the blame game. The Lord goes to the woman, what is this you have done? The serpent deceived me and I ate it. Nobody's taking ownership. It's blame, it's shame, it's guilt. A fracture is now here in this relationship, right? Love is not love at all if it's forced. So God has given them a choice to obey him or not and they have chosen not to. And now there are consequences to that. There's a reality that we live in. Notice in the next section that God isn't saying these as commands, he's saying them as consequences. This is the bed you've now made. This is how things are going to be. He starts with the enemy, which I love, and he puts him in his place, and he alludes to the fact that his head will be crushed by the Son of Man. But then he goes to Adam and Eve to talk about reality now in a broken, fallen world. He says to the woman, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Highlight that, and if it's crossed out in your Bible, we're gonna talk about it. Maybe you'll <laughs> redeem it a bit. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now death is in the picture. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. This is the fallout. What we see now in relationship is a power struggle, strife, fighting. This verse, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Let me ask you husbands, you men in here, are you drawn to choose power over unity? Is there something in you that just craves and wants power and dominion? Because that's, that's geared in you now, in your sinful nature. He talks about painful toil, working by the sweat of your brow. Let me ask you guys, are you prone to put work over your family? Is work something that just draws your attention? And, and, and for some people, maybe it's like career. That's what's most important, making money, being successful, and that comes first over everything. I think for a lot of husbands, it's more like, I'm not the husband or the father I thought I was gonna be. I feel like a failure, and I don't know how to grow here, so what I'm gonna do is just pour myself more into the one place where I think I might be good at something, which is my work. Things are out of order. We, we prioritize work over family, power over unity. Ladies, when it says your desire will be for your husband, guys are like, yes, she won't be able to keep her hands off me. She can't resist. Some translations say your desire will be contrary to the desire of your husband. Some say your desire will be to control your husband. When you look at the Hebrew, what it's alluding to is the fact that the thing that is geared in you now is to try to master or control your husband. And I'm just reading the Bible. Don't get mad at me. But let me ask you, is control an issue for you? Is it real easy for you in relationships to just go like this, try to control them? Some people are laughing. Do you choose control over companionship? It's just in us. And it would feel real hopeless if the chapter stopped there. It's like, well, good luck. If not for verse 21, listen to this. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. 
So we ask this question when we read the Bible, where's Jesus? Because the whole thing is about him. And God is already showing, I will make the sacrifice and I will cover over your sin and your shame. I will make the atonement from the very beginning. And Jesus comes and does that. And that's why we can live in a different reality. We don't have to accept the curse that is upon us, but we can get back to relationships with unity and companionship and love and purpose, fighting for one another, not with one another. That's possible. Jesus has made that possible. That's why you read passages in the New Testament that sound archaic, like wives submit to your husbands. That's not because you're a lesser image bearer of God, it's because what you are prone to do is control. And so the hardest thing for you to do is gonna be to open your hands and free up your husband. That's why it says husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. And how did he do that? He died for it. If you're gonna be the head of your household and leader, here's how you do it like Jesus, servant leadership. You are the first to sacrifice, the first to humble yourself. It's actually a beautiful, beautiful, revolutionary picture of relationship that we get. And it's possible. And I know there's some people in here right now that you don't believe that. I know that maybe divorce is in your backstory. I know that maybe you got cheated on, maybe you did the cheating. Maybe you were abused, maybe you were the abuser. Maybe today will sting a little bit because you'll realize that's what was out of order in that relationship. Or that's what is out of order right now. And here's what I want you to know. What's truer than the pain or the mistakes of your past is the scripture that says that today because of Jesus, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. It is because of the blood of Jesus in an empty tomb that hope is possible for you. Forgiveness is possible for you. Redemption is possible for you. Reconciliation is possible for you. Forgiveness, all of this comes together through Jesus who gives us the chance to write a new story. Today's not about beating yourself up for what has happened. It's about from here. Here's what can happen because I'm a new creation. I've been invited into a revolutionary picture of relationship by Jesus. And so we're gonna follow him and how we go about relationships. And, and here's, here's the difference in how Jesus operated and how we operate. Jesus comes and he says, I am here to do the will of my Father. I am here to do the will of my Father. Now we come along in our brokenness and we say, I am here to do the will of myself. And those two things are so counter to one another. Our me first, my will mentality, it leads us to put so many things out of order. And I'm gonna give you five examples. There's hundreds. You might think of something today like, no, I think this is what I put out of order in my life, then go, go build on that. But I have five just common areas I see us putting things out of order. And the first one is just simply this. We just put romance over God. You could replace this with relationships with people over relationships with God. This was me in my dating life. Even when I was following Jesus, it was like the second that a girl entered the picture, Jesus took a back seat. And all of those relationships crumbled. Because when you take something that's meant to be a gift and you make it God, but it's imperfect, it will fail you. The pressure that's put on a relationship where you're everything to me and I'm everything to you, we, we can't stand in that as human beings. So I started to do the math and realize this is the issue. I'm not letting my relationship with God lead me in how I go about my relationships. And so when I met Steph, this was my prayer. This was my prayer at this time in my life. God, I wanna meet somebody who loves you more than I do. I wanna meet somebody who loves you and has you on the throne and that I cannot take that place. And when I met her, of all the amazing things about her, that is what drew me to her. She said, I don't need you. I need Jesus. 
He, he's everything for me. You're a gift, this is great, but you're not my everything. And the pressure that came off my shoulders was amazing. And I also had been praying, God, I, I wanna meet somebody who loves you more than I love you. I don't wanna be dragging somebody to you, I wanna be chasing somebody towards you. And there's people in this room that that might be a shift in how you go about dating today. Scripture says, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek him first and the things you want. Wanting a spouse is not a bad thing, but seek him first and then let him add to your life. But for most people, it's more like seek first the spouse and then sprinkle God in later if they want to. Some of you that are married in here, it might just simply be today realizing that you have taking God out of his proper order and you're putting all the pressure on each other and it's time to put him back on the throne and let him lead in your marriage. For some of you in this church, I, I watched some of you come here alone and your spouse is not here. Maybe you're not on the same page when it comes to faith. And I just felt so compelled this week to just start praying for spouses of people in Red Rocks Church to come to know Jesus. Through you, through the way you lived your life, through somebody else, through a dream, God can reach anybody and I'm praying with you for spouses that would say, hey, it's time to put our relationship on Jesus, I get it now, praying for you. In light of that, for those of you that are single, dating, or engaged, if you want Jesus to be at the forefront of your life, to be your foundation, find someone who loves Jesus more than you. And be uncompromising in finding someone who will put the relationship with God over your relationship. And I know that that might lead somebody in here to break up today. And they may be great, I'm not saying they're a bad person, I'm just saying don't link your life to somebody who doesn't want the same things and have the same foundation as you. Better to call off a wedding than a marriage. Okay, the next place that we put things out of order in my mind is preferences over people. We have largely decided as humanity that we love our opinions more than our neighbors. Let's just call it what it is. The way that we, we will write people off, we will push people away simply because they don't quite match my echo chamber of how I think the world is supposed to be. They don't fit into my narrative, and so I don't want anything to do with them. It reminds me, the way that we can write people off so quickly, it reminds me of Angela in the office. She says, I don't back down. My sister and I used to be best friends, and we haven't spoken in 16 years over some disagreement I don't even remember, so yeah, I'm pretty good. <laughs> and we laugh at that while we write off our own family members because they vote differently than us. Discipleship with Jesus means that you choose people over your preferences. The disciples themselves had to learn this. Read Acts chapter 10. Peter finds himself being called to go reach a Roman, a Roman official. This isn't just like, we don't really like them. This Roman, he represents oppression of Peter and his people. Peter has every right to be like, I'm not going in that guy's house. My preferences keep me far away from somebody like that. But God humbles him and goes, hey, there is nobody outside the bounds of the gospel. And so Peter enters into his home, preaches the gospel, and baptizes the whole family. And then this leads to the first Christian conference in Acts chapter 15. Peter, Paul, John, James, they're rolling into Jerusalem in their Chelsea boots and their skinny jeans, their non-prescription glasses, and there's the, all these pastors together. And they have to come together and they have to have some hard conversation because they are saying, hey, we are putting our preferences over people. There are some groups of people that we are not reaching with the gospel because of our preferences, our politics, our religious views of things, the way that we're holding on to the old way and not following the way of Jesus. 
And there's a place for theology and doctrine. It's important. But what they have done, which we are all so prone to do, is choose preferences over people and keep them from the gospel. Jesus, in a world that will tell you, just walk away. If you don't like him, just walk away. Jesus put people over preferences. We gotta stop as spouses. We gotta stop dying on hills and letting it stall our marriages when we realize that Jesus died on the one hill that somebody needed to die on. Start walking over hills together. Which leads me to another place that's out of order. We just choose fairness over forgiveness. I hear this all the time. Well, it's just not fair. It's not fair because she doesn't put as much into the friendship as me. Well, well, he's a little bit absent sometimes. It feels like he's just not as invested as me. It's just not fair. He doesn't do as much as I do. And we have this myth in our minds. Deborah Newport, who is a, a voice of wisdom in our church, whenever we have marriage events, she'll say, hey, marriage is not 50-50. Relationships aren't 50-50. And we get obsessed with that idea that they should be doing exactly as much as I am, and we start being competitive and warring against each other. Growing up, we had family friends, and their marriage was such a 50-50 business agreement that literally one spouse would mow the lawn to the halfway point, leave the mower, and walk inside. So the other spouse knew to do their 50%. And not surprisingly, but sadly, that marriage ended in divorce when one person selfishly went looking for missing percentages from another person. Whenever we are the one who all we have to give is 10% because life is hard, we want everybody to rally around us and be about us, but when we have to put the 90% in, we're like, well, this isn't fair. I'm putting in way more than they are. That's just so counter to the way of Jesus, who chose forgiveness over fairness. Listen to Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Man, praise God that he did not operate out of what was fair to him. Because you know it would be fair for Jesus to never step out of heaven and come here. What would be fair to Jesus is to not get crucified because he didn't do anything wrong. But he didn't choose fairness, he chose us. He chose forgiveness. And I'm not saying, balancing statement, I'm not saying that you become a doormat because you're the Christian in the relationship or the friendship. Jesus actually had boundaries. He would be like, leave me alone, I'm going to get some time by myself. He'd have prioritized time with his core, his disciples. I have to prioritize time with my family over everybody else. More and more as life gets busier and busier. That's important. We should have boundaries and expectations. The problem is they just go unstated. And so we just let them harbor in us and create bitterness, but we're mad at them for something they don't even know that they're supposed to be doing or that we expect from them. You gotta communicate about things, but ultimately, we don't follow a savior who said, get what's yours, whatever's fair to you, eye for an eye. No, he said, turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, love your enemies, choose forgiveness over fairness for your freedom. All right, let me make you uncomfortable now. This is one of the prominent places that things are so out of order in our world, and it's this, lust over trust. Now that rhymes, so you'll remember it. Could have been an alliteration, lust over love, but I wanna talk about trust, but first, I don't have to paint too big of a picture or make a great case for the fact that lust is a monster behind the scenes destroying our culture. 
It's a battle that we all fight individually. But when you look at the grand scale, if you actually take a step back and look at the world that we live in, where pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry, which is the main fuel source for sex trafficking, what we have accepted as a world is greed monetizing lust. As if human beings cannot control themselves and our sexual desires are the most important thing that there is. And I'm not bringing up pornography to heap shame on anybody. I want freedom for you. I want you to be able to have trust in your life, trust with yourself, trust in your relationships. And there's some great apps, Triple X Church, there's ways for you to block your devices from letting you get to something that will so quickly put lust on the throne of your life. We would love to help you walk that journey of freedom. And the problem is that in our culture, we, we are kind of just saying like, have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want, it's, it's our right. We treat sex like it's a right instead of a gift that God has given us. I was reading about dating apps and the people who took this poll, 44% said they are on dating apps for finding a long-term partner, finding a spouse. 40%, almost the exact same amount, said that they are not looking for that. They're just on there to date casually. Let's just call it what it is that a poll can't say. They're looking to have sex with no strings attached, looking for random hookups. Almost the same amount of people, almost half of people. I don't know what the other 16% are doing on dating apps. I was doing that math and I was like, is it like we're playing pranks? Let me say this, and I don't care if I sound like an old school 80s youth pastor. <laughs> Sex is a gift meant to be enjoyed within the confines of marriage. I know that's countercultural. I know a lot of your parents are the ones who are telling you, test drive it before you're sure you wanna commit to it. Play house and live together before you get married to make sure that it can work. And I'm not speaking from a place of I'm on my high horse, okay? This was the problem in my dating life. I would let lust, I would let sex become the forefront of relationships and realize it was really in the end the only substance that there was there because when sex enters into a relationship outside of marriage, you can read about this psychologically, it will stall the friendship. All of a sudden the physical attraction, that is the foundation of the relationship. Sex is meant for marriage, and here's why, because intimacy with exit doors breeds insecurity. Intimacy with exit doors breeds shame. Intimacy with exit doors will breed distrust and jealousy and the ugliness that we see in relationships. And I had experienced that so much that I finally said, enough. Every area of my life that I have put God's will ahead of mine has thrived. This has been one area that I have not, so I'm going to try that now. And when I met my wife, a week into dating, I thought she's gonna think I'm so weird that I'm crazy. I told her, hey, this has been a place of shame and pain in my life and I'm not gonna beat myself up anymore about my past because that gets me nowhere. But today I am a new creation and I'm gonna put God's will above my own, which means that for me, sex is off the table until I get married. This isn't about back then, this is about from here. And she didn't break up with me. She later told me that was the moment she knew we were gonna get married because she had been looking for someone who was also willing to sacrifice and put the will of God over our own. And it was not easy. I wanted to have sex. That's a normal God-given desire in you, but you've gotta to learn to control yourself. It's not a right, it's a gift that God has given us for marriage. And I wanted to be obedient, I wanted to build a friendship 
my incentive ultimately was I wanted to build trust with her. I had listened to a pastor talking about sex and he said he had decided that he wasn't gonna have sex until he was married to his wife because it's what God told him to do, but also he wanted his wife to be able to trust him because there would come a day when he was away on a business trip. There would come a time when she had given birth and sex was off the table. And he said, the last thing I want is for my wife to be laying awake at night wondering, what is he doing? Because when we started dating, sex was a non-negotiable for him. It was as if he was this animal that couldn't control himself. He had to have it. And so if he's not getting that from me, he's surely going to find it somewhere, be it another person or a porn, whatever it is. And I thought, man, I never want my wife to have to worry about that. I want her to know that she can trust me, that I am the captain of my body. I can control myself. And so for a lot of you in this room, maybe it is that battle to fight back against pornography and the way that lust is an addiction, controlling in your life. For everybody in here today is about saying goodbye to shame and hello to being a new creation and living a new life and putting things in the proper order. For those of you that are single, dating, and engaged, I dare you, dare you to take sex off the table until you get married. Somebody's gonna take me up on this. We have had couples that have moved out from living together until they got married because they decided, okay, we're not gonna be about what happened back then, we're just gonna live from here. Take it off the table, dare you. For the married couples in this room, I have an opposite challenge for you. Put sex back as a priority in your marriage because it's supposed to be. It's not just like a physical fun thing that we like to do, it is a unifying gift that God has given us spiritually and emotionally and physically. When we had Sean and Jill Johnson down here for our Power Couple Marriage event, Jill, who's this sweet, angelic, would never say a cuss word in her life person, she said one of the keys to the success of their marriage through all they've been through was this, lots of sex. (laughs) And there were some amens in that room that day. (laughs) Because it's a gift that God dreamed up to give us as a unifier in marriage. So for you married couples, don't weaponize this and go home and be like, the pastor said. (laughs) It may for you start as a conversation. Hey, why did this go off the table at some point? Why is this combative? Why is this competitive? What, What is the pain here? Maybe go sit in a counselor's office. Talk about it. Maybe conversation is the first step to getting this back in the proper order as a gift that God has made it for us. Last thing. Last thing that is so out of order, happiness over everything. That's what we've decided. It's just all about my happiness. And if I'm not happy, then something's wrong with the world. Not me. Listen to what Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank said. Love that show. Don't love that he said this. He said, you may lose your wife. You may lose your dog. Your mother may hate you. None of those things matter. What matters is you achieve a success and become free then you can do whatever you like. And that is the narrative that our culture believes. They say that money is the number one reason for divorce. I think it has a new rival and it's just people saying, I'm just not happy anymore. I'm just gonna walk out of this marriage because the whole point of life is my will and I'm supposed to be happy. Everything's supposed to revolve around me. So if something's wrong, then it's my spouse, it's my kids, it's my workplace, it's my church, it's something And I'll leave anything just so I'm happy because ultimately that's what life's about is just me being happy. And the reality is that's just not life. Like when you play that out, that doesn't work, especially in relationship, especially as a follower of Jesus. I'll just burst that bubble. You will not always be happy following Jesus. 
when you have to sacrifice and humble yourself and do some things that are counter to your flesh, the Adam and Eve that's in you, you won't be happy about that all the time. The Great Commission, our mission in life, go and make disciples of all nations. It doesn't have an asterisk that says, as long as you're happy doing it. Your marriage vows, you didn't say, for richer or poor, in sickness and health, as long as I'm happy. Those passages in scripture, they don't say, lay your life down for your family, lay your life down for your wife, as long as you're happy doing it. Now this is a higher calling. We're listening to a culture that is feeding into our narcissism and our belief that they can deliver us happiness through the next big thing, through feeding into our flesh, and suicide rates and anxiety and depression are at all-time highs. It's not working. Life with Jesus, I'm not the anti-happy guy. I want you to be happy. I love being happy. God wants you to be happy. It's just not the ultimate thing that's going to happen in this life. There will come a day where there will be no more pain, no more sin, no more shame, but we are right here right now to reach people for the gospel, and it will not always be easy and make us happy. But we have to, in following Jesus, shift away from the me first, my will mentality. And so I wanna close by looking at the contrast of Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper. I've been thinking about how crazy this is. This is where Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. There's Jesus washing his disciples' feet, lowering himself, humbling himself, elevating them, showing them how to lead by serving. And here's the disciples arguing about which one of them is the greatest. And I look at them, and, and they're us. I look at them, I go, how did you possibly make this about yourself? There's Jesus talking to them. Hey, I've been telling you guys for a while that things are gonna get tough for me. And that hour is now here. And their minds are already wandering to betrayal and denial and running and fleeing self-preservation. And I look at them that night and I go, how did you possibly make this about yourself? Jesus takes bread and wine and he's sitting there. And here's what awaits him. He's gonna be arrested. He's gonna be mocked. He's gonna be beaten beyond recognition. They're gonna put a cross on his shoulders that he's gonna carry up a hill. They're gonna nail him to it and hang him up to suffocate. Here's what hit me this week. That is about to happen, and Jesus is the one who prays for the disciples that night. He's the one who prays for us. You'd think, like, I know we're talking about Jesus, but if this is your best friend, and he's about to go through that, you might have the presence of mind to go, hey guys, could we gather around and pray for Jesus and what he's about to go through? But no, there's Jesus praying for his disciples. There's Jesus hanging on a cross, and I look at Jesus and I go, how did you possibly make this about us? So unfair to you. He said, because I'm here to do the will of my father. And from Genesis 1, his will has been to have relationship with you forever, no matter the cost to him. After he says, love each other as I have loved you, the next verse, he says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's what he does. And so if you would stand to your feet, we're gonna close by taking communion. I often think that Jesus chose bread and wine because he knew his disciples loved eating and drinking more than anything else. And there would be a lot of meals they would share, a lot of bread, a lot of wine. And he knew that soon they would be sitting around a table having to realize we gotta choose people over our preferences. That there would be married couples sitting around tables that would have to have conversations about putting God first. Hard moments for individuals saying it's time to choose trust over lust. Sometimes maybe I have to lay down my happiness for the sake of everything else, for the sake of somebody else. And that it would be hard in our flesh, but that we could do it, that it's possible because of the body and blood of Jesus. 
Let this be the fuel in your relationships, his sacrifice and how he modeled for us how to put things in the proper order. And so that night he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And then he took a cup and he poured wine into it. He said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, a new way of living of unity and companionship and joy and of hope, of forgiveness, of reconciliation, this is possible because of the covenant I am making with my people by my blood in an empty tomb, I will be with you forever. Take and drink. So Jesus, we thank you for your body and blood. Would it be the fuel in our relationships? I pray for reconciliation, recovered marriages, for powerful marriages founded on you, Would you help us to put things in the proper order and say, I am here to do the will of my Father just as you did. We thank you that you love us so much that you died to have relationship with us. In Jesus' name, amen.